Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global, open access multimedia channel that brings you the latest research updates in hematological oncology. Today, we'll be discussing the relevance of allogeneic stem cell transplantation in the treatment of acute lymphoblastic leukemia. Our first speaker today is Mohamed Moti from the Saint Antoine Hospital and Sorbonne University in Paris. Professor Moti is going to discuss the role of allogeneic transplantation for patients with ALL, taking into consideration the current treatment landscape. The role of allogenic stem cell transplantation in adult acute lymphoblastic leukemia is uh, uh, clearly uh, a moving target because, uh, for instance, when it comes to Philadelphia-positive ALL, Uh, the introduction and wide use of TK inhibitors is clearly making a difference in the life of these patients. And uh, actually combining uh, this with bispecific antibodies, for instance, like blinatumumab, is uh, clearly proving to be a successful treatment modality with many patients achieving uh, uh, MRD negativity, uh, negative measurable residual disease. So here one may wonder whether these patients should proceed to transplant uh, or, or not. In the uh, Philadelphia negative uh, adult ALL, uh, again, uh, the results are really improving thanks to uh, better characterization uh, of the uh, genetic features of the disease Uh, but also uh, the use of uh, novel uh, or uh, immune therapy agents like blinatumumab, but also uh, inotuzumab, for instance, earlier in the course of the disease. And again, we are facing the same uh, challenge or same dilemma that if you are able uh, to achieve uh, uh, sustained MRD negativity in these patients, do you really need to proceed to allotransplant? Bearing in mind that uh, the uh, MRD negative situation, disease status, is probably uh, the most important predictive factor for outcome after transplant. So you can see it's, it's very uh, subtle when it comes to the decision-making process. And I believe the landscape will become even more complicated uh, with the uh, introduction and more frequent use of CAR T-cells, the autologous uh, CAR T-cells directed against CD19, for instance, which were just being, have been recently approved actually by FDA. And here, uh, maybe the use of these CAR T cells uh, is going to challenge uh, the use of allotransplant frontline. Uh, and this is going to be uh, extremely uh, exciting for the future. And uh, hopefully, thanks to the advent of all of these agents, conventional chemotherapy, TK inhibitors, bispecific antibodies, antibody drug conjugate, but also CAR T cells, we will be able to cure more and more of these adult uh, ALL patients. We're now going to hear from Robin Foer of the Sapienza University of Rome in Italy, 
and he's going to present data supporting therapy regimens without allogeneic transplantation for patients with Philadelphia-positive ALL. This is a very, I would, how can I say, a very timely uh, controversy as it is in the COSTEM program. So we're talking about controversy in hematology. Uh, this is a very interesting point because for uh, for a long, long time, um, allogeneic transplant has been considered the only option in an attempt to cure pH positive ALL patients. Um, so uh, now we're at a point where we are considering in many congresses and meetings and in this debate, if a transplant can be avoided in Philadelphia positive ALL. So I think we should put this point into context and first of all, I think it's very important to remind ourselves that uh, before the advent of the tyrosine kinase inhibitors, which means a targeted form of treatment, the prognosis of Philadelphia positive ALL was really extremely unfavorable. I always tell our students or postdoc or, uh, or interns that uh, it, it used to be the worst uh, hematological malignancy and possibly the worst cancer, because in the old days when I worked for a long time in hematology before the TKIs, there was very little to offer to these patients, and they did very poorly. All the long-term studies showed roughly about 10-15% of patients who had a long-term uh, outcome. And these were largely patients who managed to go to an allogeneic transplant. And I should add that even in a pediatric age, transplant was really the only way to try to cure patients. So this was before the TKIs. Then when the TKIs came on the scene, the whole management of pH ALL has changed and the prognosis has changed too. So this is why we are questioning whether transplant should still be offered to all patients who can actually do it. Now, I think uh, I am here to defend uh, the possibility that uh, transplant can be avoided in uh, maybe substantial, being provocative a lot. I don't know. We don't exactly know patients uh, with Philadelphia positive ALL. As you know, these are debates, and obviously there's no 100% answer to this. If not, it would not be a debate. So each of us uh, obviously defends uh, uh, one position. And uh, sometimes it's, it's a bit artificial because we may both think in the same way. Here it's a very typical example because the two quote-unquote opponents are myself and Alessandro Rambaldi. Um, so interestingly, we are running the same protocols in Italy, so we have exactly the same view on the topic. So it is a bit artificial. Now, why have I been asked to cover the... Uh, the yes, the, the, the hypothesis that transplant can be avoided in patients with Philadelphia positive ALL. We're talking about adult patients. Now, I think we it's important to remind our younger uh, audience that uh, Philadelphia positive ALL is the most frequent genetic subgroup in adult ALL. An old paper stated that it accounts for about 25-30% of cases but what is important is that it increases with age. So in a young adult, I don't know, 18, 25, I mean, we have the data and we in fact published it some time ago. The incidence is not that high. It might be 15, 18%. It consistently increases with age to an extent that in the, in the 50s or 60s or more, 
It's about one out of two B lineage LL carrying the Philadelphia chromosome or the B cerebellum. So it is highly frequent in the elderly population. Though that is very important because we know that in the elderly, obviously, the uh, transplant is less doable. Then where are we with the new forms of treatment? I said that TKIs have revolutionized our approach to Philadelphia post-ALL. And in Italy, through the Gimema-Cropper study groups, for the last, I would say, more than 15 years, all patients with other Philadelphia post-ALL who have to be identified within one week from diagnosis of ALL, it's during the week of the steroid preface, all these patients are induced into remission only with the TKI and steroids with no systemic chemotherapy. And I don't have time to go through the data, but this has been very um, rewarding because virtually all patients go into remission and toxicity obviously is very limited. Now, what I wanted to lead is to our last study, uh, which was published in the New England Journal of Hematology a few months back, where we, in addition to giving a TKI in induction, which was dazatinib, we consolidated patient with a bispecific monoclonal antibody blinatumor. So it was an induction and consolidation with a targeted treatment, the dazatinib and immunotherapy, the blinatumor. And this led to virtually remission in all patients at a high proportion of molecular responses. And the addition of blinatumumab led to 60% of MRD responses, molecular MRD responses, after two cycles of blina, which increased to about 80% after subsequent three cycles of blina. It was allowed to go up to 80%, um, five cycles. So this was extremely important. Toxicity was very limited. And this obviously, in the follow-up information, uh, we showed that uh, about half of these patients continued without any chemotherapy and without transplant. And many of the patients are doing very well. Some patients went to transplant. So I'm not saying that transplant can be avoided. I'm saying that certainly we know now that patients can be, can have a long-term remission without uh, transplantation. And uh, I would also add that in the study, uh, already in New England paper, we put some data and then we added more information in recent uh, publication in blood, that this approach led to a very marked uh, activation of the host immune system of the patients, the activation of T cells and K cells. And this may play an additional role in controlling the disease. So putting all this together clearly shows or indicate, doesn't demonstrate, but strongly suggests that many patients can be spared transplant. And we are not the only ones to hypothesize this. And the Anderson recently has published that uh, you, the, there's no difference in the curves between transplant and non-transplanted patient. And this was also in our, in our data so far, there's no difference. And uh, to conclude the story, in the current new protocol, which opened recently, Patients uh, uh, who have a good genetic profile at diagnosis, and I don't have time to go into detail, but it's in our previous papers, and obtain a sustained molecular response, even if they have a sibling donor, will not be transplanted. They will be accurately monitored by MRD. Clearly, we need a very precise MRD approach, which is done by QuantiPCR, and we're also doing... Uh, PCR, uh, digital droplet PCR, which is more sensitive. 
So this indicates that the promotion of patients probably can be spared, and in the ongoing trial, Jemima trial, we hope to demonstrate this. And then Rambaldi will obviously say that the situation is that we need a longer follow-up patient to show this, which is true, but I think uh, we're quite convinced that uh, a good proportion of patients will, can, will be spared transplant for many reasons, age and the data I just told you about. Thanks for joining for today's podcast. Follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk to share your thoughts on the topics discussed. Visit VJHemonk.com for more updates in the field of acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And make sure you subscribe to VJHemonk podcasts, which are available on Spotify, Apple and Podbean.